what I can't wrap my head around. What specific U.S. interest is at stake in continuing the bombardment of Gaza? Ho, ho, ho. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the final Situation Room of the year 2023. Just uh, just another year, you know? Just uh, just whatevs. At this point, they fly so quickly by, and, uh, you know, we are closer and closer to our watery graves. And everything's fine. <laughs> I hope everyone... I hope everyone is in a Christmas spirit and you would then by that, I mean, you know, kind of like three scotches deep and just thinking about like the second family you have in the South somewhere that you like don't see, you know, Christmas stuff. Um, and we have a very good show today. Uh, there's going to be some heavy stuff. We're going to talk about the likelihood of a world war three outbreak this is fun obviously off the back of the ongoing assault on gaza and the world's reaction to it um trita parsi of the quincy institute is going to be here to discuss that with me so i'm very excited because i think we all have a lot of questions about like what are neighboring countries doing what is hezbollah doing what are the houthi rebels doing what's going on um so hopefully he can break that down for us um, and quell or stoke our fears. Um, also, uh, Suba Agarwal is back, a comedian, awesome uh, guest. The last time she was here, she, we just had a great time. So, so glad to have her back. Um, everyone needs to catch Suba live uh, and obviously follow her on all the socials. Uh, but excited to have her thoughts on um, the year in reproductive review, just sort of looking back at some of these inklings of obviously the awful things that are being done to women's bodies, uh, but also uh, the pushback. And so I think we have that to look forward to in 2024, if anything. Um, so we're going to break down what happened in Texas most recently and then see how red states and women in red states specifically are rising up. Uh, then we're going to look at a little bit of uh, not so friendly fire uh, from the IDF upon its own Israeli hostages, the ones that it pretends to care about and that is really trying to bring home, except for when it just kills them dead. Um, so we'll look at that story. Haaretz has a pretty incredible um, account of what happened. Um, and then we're going to finally just end this up with probably the worst gift you could give anyone this holiday season, which is anything to do with Elon Musk or his new chat GPT bot named grok uh there's a few aspects to this uh there's a big present that elon himself got um from some fans yes they still exist uh you know who you are uh cyber truck people jay leno uh is your i don't know your north star uh so we'll get into all that but if if you're here right now you know what you need to do and by here i mean listening as well you need to give this podcast five stars uh, on iTunes, on Spotify. That really helps people discover the show. You also, if you're here on YouTube, we are just 600 subs shy. Now, I know what you're thinking, Francesca, there's only a week left before the end of the year. 600 subs seems like a lot of subs to get to 50,000. Um, I say not so, because I say good old Saint Nick is going to deliver 
And all you little elves out there are going to spread the goddamn good word. So like and share the stream right now and subscribe. And also ring that little bell. Uh, so you get a notification usually when it works, uh, when we're going live, we go live on Fridays as well. I think I'm going to round out the year with a final bonus bish on Friday, because once again, this is just half of the show. There is another hour of this show. Every Friday, we take the stories that were later in the week, the stories we didn't get to, the irreverent, the fun, the stupid, uh, for the bonus bish, which is free to watch live. But if you want to listen or watch it back, patreon.com slash room is what you where you go. Thank you, everyone who's become a patron this year. Um, it is not lost on me that times are tough, um, but it means the world. And truly, uh, we can't do this show without you. I know you think, well, it keeps on going on. It barely does. It barely does. So your your Patreon subscription, which I encourage you to do, including a lot of perks, uh, such as discounts on merch, um, discounts on the American Prospect magazine, access to AMAs and back content. We haven't done an AMA, but I'm going to try and schedule one before the end of the year. Um, we haven't done one in a little bit, but uh, also, you know, open to uh, suggestions. I'm always very curious about how the Patreon audience, nearly 500 of you, you know, who you liked uh, from our guests and our comedians and our experts, who you want to see back. I'm always open to suggestions. As you guys all know, I really work, try, work hard to try to get you those folks. Um, so patreon.com slash situation room. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. This is all I want for Christmas. This is all I want for Christmas from you. That and like a ceasefire, you know, and like a one state solution or whatever. But uh, also, if you have a, you can gift a Patreon membership. Someone needs a little Frantifa in their life. You can gift that. You can also get a shirt. Get a little Frantifa shirt. They come in gray. They come in white. Um, there's a Bituation Room logo shirt. It's a big old logo. I had them reduce the size of the logo because I felt like it was a little too strong. There are stickers. You got your put your Frantifa sticker on your laptop and be one of those cool kids. You know, you know, kids with stickers on there. Anyway, um, so thank you in advance, everyone who has done that. Uh, you mean the world to me. Um, and before I continue, one final announcement. Um, the Bituation Room will be live. That's right scooting my water bottle out of the way uh no it's not a stanley cup it's a knockoff stanley cup um we'll be live in san francisco on sunday january 28th at 7 p.m at the gateway theater that's right me your boy nato green who you've heard on this show emma vigland of the majority report live and in the flesh all the way from brooklyn new york and miles gray of the daily zeitgeist who if you know about miles if you know about the zeit gang you know you love him, and he's wonderful. So tell your people, come out. You will be able to hear it after the fact. Um, we are going to, I will, I think we're going to record it well this time. But you know what? You never know. You never know. Lightning in a bottle, baby. So you got to come. Come one, come all. Very excited. Also, the night before, I'll be doing stand-up with NATO. Um, so if you want to hear me tell jokes, like ones I've written, um, come to that on Saturday night. Uh, that's at the Lost Church. That's going to be a much smaller venue, so I think tickets will sell out for that one. It's me, Nato, Corinda, and Daya who've been on this show before. Um, but yeah, get tickets to that as well. But hey, let's just make a weekend of it. Get a hotel in downtown SF. Don't get a hotel in downtown SF. Most of them are kind of sketch. But you know, stay Stay with someone in Daly City. Whatever you got to do, uh, go to Oakland. But I uh, hope to see you guys there. And thank you again uh, for everyone in the Bay who's been so supportive. All right, let's get this goddamn show on the road, y'all. This is the final 
what are you bitching about? So I am not a religious person. I mean, we all had that phase, right? But um, it's like the, you know, like the sort of gay phase that you had, even though I, I didn't really have that, which sucks. I think I got the short end of the phase stick. I'd rather have had the gay phase than the Christian phase. Okay, I've said too much. However, um, right now, as bombs rain down on Gaza and, you know, uh, violence in the West Bank from settlers increases on the people of Palestine, um, it is we're about to hit Christmas, right? And um, contrary to maybe what your average American thinks, um, there are Christians in Palestine. That's right. There are Christians in Gaza. There are Christians in the West Bank. Um, yes, what do you know? Christians and Muslims living side by side. Um, and yet they are all Palestinians, almost like they used to. Remember back before colonialism? But anyway, I digress. Um, that obviously has changed this year. And even in the West Bank, even in places that are outside of the so-called line of fire right now, at least um, not in the way of, or not, you know, under rubble and under bombs. Um, but this is a priest in the West Bank, in Bethlehem specifically, talking to Al Jazeera about how Christmas this year is canceled. Celebrations are canceled this year in Bethlehem for obvious reasons. It's impossible to celebrate when there is a massacre, a genocide taking place uh, in Gaza with our people. And so the idea was to send a message to the world first, but also to ourselves. A message to the world that this is what Christmas looks like in Palestine. This is what Christmas looks like in Bethlehem, the birthplace of Jesus. Children pulling, being pulled from under the rubble, uh, families being displaced with their homes uh, destroyed. Uh, so uh, the camera is panning to. I, I'm, I don't know. I didn't mean to get emotional, but um, hard not to get emotional. A um, nativity scene that's just a bunch of rubble and a baby lying there, um, you know, with a little kafia. It's very cute. Um, <laughs> but uh, the baby is, uh, unlike a lot of the babies we've seen lately in Gaza, the baby's alive. Um, and that is Bethlehem. This is the birthplace of Jesus. This is on... His birthday, December 25th, and this is how his home city chooses to remember him. And it is pretty effing moving and poignant. And to all of the Christians out there, especially the Christian Zionists, who somehow think that supporting Israel's relentless war on the Palestinian people is number one at all godly, um, but number two, any kind of way to display your own faith, um, you can, <laughs> I have no words for what I think about you unless I want to get demonetized, which honestly it's been, it's been 13 minutes and I can't believe I haven't used the F-bomb yet, but um uh, you're trash. You're utter trash. Um, and remember, this is these are the holiest places on earth, arguably, right? The birthplace of three religions that is under occupation, um, where people live in apartheid, where people are afraid to worship, where um, you know, uh, people have been gassed and flashbang grenaded inside the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Um, you know, there's endless there's just massive security 
you know, there's there in Jerusalem, there is like a security camera on every fucking corner. This is worse than a target. You know what I'm saying? Like, so again, and again, even if you're not religious, but if you are like, this is the holiest place on earth and this is what has happened to it. And so if you pretend to care at all, you, I mean, honestly, what a, what would Jesus do moment? And it sure as shit isn't supporting genocide. Um, so this is incredibly powerful and moving. Um, let's take a listen to a little bit more of this. And while the world is celebrating Christmas, at the birthplace of Jesus, this is what Christmas uh, looks like. This is usually a season for celebrations and also a season for hope. Is there hope left? We have hope in our faith. Uh, we have hope. Uh, the Christmas story actually gives us hope in the fact that Jesus was born among the occupied. This is what happened 2,000 years ago. Uh, and so going back to this uh, manger setting, uh, it tells us that baby Jesus is in solidarity with those who are suffering, with those who are uh, oppressed. So in this Christmas, uh, we find our only source of hope is, is our faith uh, in a just God and in our solidarity uh, with one another. And I hope that this message gets to the world, that we are united uh, in Palestine. Uh, and sadly, right now, we are united uh, in our pain. So that, that is incredibly moving. Um, and I'm glad he said that and how much, you know, uh, we should think about solidarity in this moment. We should think about, um, you know, more than our Amazon wish lists. Uh, so, um, yeah, there you have it. You know, who knows? Maybe Joe Biden will negotiate a little Christmas ceasefire just in time for the holidays. Santa Claus, uh, found it in his heart to negotiate a ceasefire. Santa Claus is named Cutter. We'll learn about that a little bit later on. Um, but with that, let me bring in my, uh, guest, um, for the rest of the show. Um, let me get her bio. <clears throat> comedian, actor, writer, who you might recognize from Comedy Central, NBC, HBO Max, Netflix, and more. Please welcome Suba Agarwal. Hi. Hi, Suba. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Lighten the mood. Somebody talk <laughs> about, I don't know, Jingle All the Way by Arnold Schwarzenegger. By Arnold Schwarzenegger. By Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> by uh, famed writer Arnold yeah, exactly. <laughs> P. Governor. Schwarzenegger. I don't know what his middle name is. It's I gave probably him a P. P. It's, it's Patrick <laughs> for sure. Um, Suba, what's what's going on? It's been a while since you've been on the show, but but mm. how are you doing? What are you bitching about? Okay, so I mean, I have a short trivial bitch, and then I'll talk about my real bitch. Which, first of all, I just let me just say with Christmas, I fucking hate Christmas cookies. I hate the pressure to bake Christmas cookies. It's not a fun thing. It's literally a chemistry experiment uh, <laughs> that I am expected to do. I hate it. Uh, but what? <laughs> okay, I, <laughs> I love. I actually love Christmas cookies when I realize they're pretty oh. easy to make. Um, but then you got to eat them all, or then you got to eat. I don't know. I'm. I love a. I love a basic bitch sugar cookie. Like just okay. basic bitch shit. I don't like yeah. the like ginger snap. No, no, no. Like the Great British Baking Show stuff. Like that stuff stresses me out. But anyway, I get yeah, it. Yeah, I keep doing that. That's my fault. Uh, yeah, you're which... being too ambitious. Stop. <laughs> really? You. You already got married. You locked it down. You're trying to I keep know. keep him. You're... <laughs> oh no, he wants me to stop. He aggressively <laughs> wants me to stop baking because I get so angry. He. <laughs> <laughs> he will leave the house because like, you messed it up and you're you. like oh, the, mm. 
like something is burning and I'm screaming. I'm like, how much is that tablespoon? He's like, I don't want to deal with this. And then he leaves. Um, well, all okay. right. It's a but good trivial what, bitch. <laughs> what I really wanted to bitch about is, okay, so I went to Austin for the first time and everyone was like, oh, Austin is so amazing. It's so cool. Why are there so many police officers? What the, f- like, oh, I've Austin. never seen. Yes. I've never seen more cops in my entire life. Just like globs of police everywhere on 6th Street. It was heinous. And like, I I work customer service, so I have so much empathy for customer service employees. And they had a cop stationed at the front of the CVS who was just saying hello to nobody who was saying hello to him. And then I felt pressure to say hello to him because I know what that's like. I know Wait, what it cops w- are greeters now, just like greeting I, you on the street, or like I think he's supposed to be security, but I think okay. he just was desperate for eye contact, which <laughs> that's really funny. He's I like, understand that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I look, I you know, this podcast very much <laughs> supports not making direct eye contact with cops. Uh, <laughs> I I like that. I like them to feel a little bit like they're invisible, and they're like, "Am I the ghost of Christmas past?" They're like, yeah, you are. Um, you're fucking Jacob Marley. Uh, you're you swindled from the poor, and you and you're terrible, and you now you wear chains. Um, but that, I hate. It's true. I hate when it's like when you go to New York and you forget that like. If you see something, say something post 9-11. Like, I was there post 9-11, so I remember how militarized it is. But you forget, and you're like, go to the subway. And you're like, I love the subway. <laughs> and then there's just a fucking, like, Marine with an AK-47 or whatever he's got. And you're like, oh, I don't... This feels immediately unsafe. I hate this. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. I don't like talking to people who have uh, massive guns on them. It freaks me out. Like, I'm very well aware most people on the street could just murder me. I'm very small. I'm very weak. I'm often anemic. But I just feel... (laughs) I'm often hungry. (laughs) Like, just give me a muffin. (laughs) I There's just something so scary about a gun. At least if somebody's choking me, I feel like I have a second to try and work my way out of it. I can be like, well, is that a jacket from Ross? Like, I feel like... Let me remember... Let me remember my self-defense classes and yeah, I love, okay. So that's a good thing to bitch about. Cause you were just doing shows and just kind of like frequenting it as a tourist. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. It was what I've never seen. And I've been like around times square where they have all those police. It was way more than that. It was nuts. Maybe Biden was in town. Um, raising <laughs> money. In Austin? Hmm, that's maybe. true. That's true. That's true. It might not be Austin. I feel like some, someone was around and, or, you know, it might be the end of the year and they're just like, oh, mm. we got to burn all this money. Cause they have, you know, <laughs> endless cash. And they're like, just, uh, I don't know, go greet people on the street. Yeah. Okay. Make eye contact. And it was right. so wild. That's and I hate horse cops. Ugh, God, just the word, just shitting all over the street. I'm I like, know. I- <laughs> the horses don't know either. There's gotta be, gotta be, we, at some point we should do a final segment of what, what's the worst, worst horse job, (laughs) you know, like, is it pulling the carriage? Is it being a cop? Is Um, it being the best friend to a horse girl? There's so many. Obviously the best job. (laughs) You get to break her hymen. I'm so sorry. That's the most, but y'all know, right? Y'all know the stories where it was like, (laughs) my hymen broke when I was on a horse. I was like 16 or 15. I was like, I don't know if that really happened, Sarah, but okay. Um, anyway, that's a great job. Someone's got to do it. Uh, all right, let's get into the week. Uh, we've gone on for far too long. Um, only two things happened this week. In fact, one thing is more about the year. This is the week where. So 
so uh, this was the week where um, we have seen once again the ramifications of draconian anti-choice laws in red states, and specifically. This week was about Kate Cox, who was a woman in Texas, who is a woman in Texas, who was pregnant um, and was told by her doctors that the fetus had no chance of living. It had um, uh, multiple, uh, I believe, heart conditions, and it would have lived for three days or something like this. Um, A judge permitted her to get an abortion. A judge permitted her to get an abortion. That's right. That's the state that Texas is in and many states are in. Um, But then the Supreme Court overruled uh, that judge's uh, ruling, basically, and said, no, 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 you can't get your abortion, so that stopped the abortion. Simultaneously, the Attorney General of Texas, who is a an impeached, corrupt a-hole, uh, Ken Paxton, also wrote a letter to the hospital saying, basically, if you do this, if you perform a an abortion to terminate a fetus's life that would have no life, um, truly, if you alleviate her suffering, uh, you'll be held liable you should be afraid, da, 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 da. basically bullying and scaring um, the hospital workers. Kate Cox eventually did seek an abortion at, uh, I believe, in a neighboring, I believe in New Mexico. She went to New Mexico. Um, but she, while she was pregnant, opened a lawsuit against Texas. Um, in fact, 20 other women, including her, are suing the state of Texas specifically for denying them the ability to have a safe abortion when they needed one, when their fetuses were not viable. These were all happened to be women who wanted to have kids. Um, Kate Cox herself already had two kids um, and she wanted a third. And if she was to continue this, uh, this pregnancy, her ability to continue to have kids or to potentially get pregnant again would have been shot. So that, that was the story of the last week. Um, I'm not sure how much you heard of that, Suba, but um, yeah, yeah, I've been following your story. It's super sad, crazy, super sad. But here's the thing. And like, not for nothing, like these are white women and these white women are mad and they got that special white lady mad energy. And I I, (laughs) like, which is like, you know, you want talk to your manager energy when it comes to reproductive rights. And I think we're getting it. Um, so I'll tell you why beyond Texas. But here's a little bit of a rundown for those um, who are talking about like, oh, what about these carve outs for like, you know, cases of rape or incest or, you know, health of the mother or the baby. Technically, this is according to The Guardian, abortion bans the U.S. have some kind of carve out. But countless doctors have said these exceptions don't reckon with the complexities of pregnancy due to the ban's vague and politicized language, as well as the severe criminal penalties for providers who run afoul of the law. Doctors say that they're confused about when they can step in to help the patient and hamstrung by the fear of prosecution. Instead, doctors say they have to be forced to wait and watch until patients are on the brink of death. They have had to pull then they have had to pull them back. And that's literally uh, what happened um, in Texas. Uh, five women sued Texas over its medical emergency exceptions, which the lawsuit hopes to clarify. The suit is named for Amanda Zerwaski, Zer- excuse me, whose water broke too early in pregnancy for her to give birth to a healthy baby. Because her doctors could still detect fetal cardiac activity, she was unable to get an abortion. Days later, she was diagnosed with sepsis. She ended up spending three days in the ICU thanks to scarring on her reproductive organs. She may never be able to get pregnant again. So, like, Again, this is what happens when you put all of your pie in the sky theories onto uteruses, onto the bodies of people who can get pregnant 
and it doesn't fit your neat fucking little protect all life cubby. It's like, at what cost? What are we talking about? What kind of life did any of these fetuses, did any of these uh, babies, would they have lived? And what about the life of the mother? Ultimately, we all become second class citizens um, mm -hmm. and have to sacrifice our own lives, possibly. Sepsis is a, I mean, you, she easily could have died. And this is the same thing, Suba. I'm like, these women survived. But like, number one, imagine, I mean, the stories that we're not hearing, number one, yeah. from the people who didn't have health care or the people who were taking matters into their own hands. But also, it's only a matter of time before we hear about the death of somebody who was denied an abortion. Um, oh, yeah, it's not even a question. Yeah, it's not even a question. And like, anyway, so... Not just in Texas, but people are fighting back. Um, in Kentucky, uh, while Cox was the first present, uh, pregnant woman to file this post-Roe lawsuit, um, mere days after she went public, a Kentucky woman announced that she, too, was suing for the right to end her pregnancy in a state that outlaws almost all abortions. Um, her pregnancy actually now no longer has a cardiac uh, activity, so maybe she can get one, which is just wild. Um in Oklahoma, a woman has also filed a federal complaint against two hospitals, desperate for an abortion as her non-viable pregnancy worsened. The woman was told to wait in a parking lot until she was, quote-unquote, crashing. But then there's Tennessee and Idaho. These are red states, y'all. Um, in Tennessee, and this is brilliant, Allie Phillips is now running for office. She's running for Congress as a member of the first generation of female candidates to run post-Roe after her fetus was diagnosed with several lethal conditions. Um, she's big on TikTok and she was basically like, I'm done with this. I'm going to run. She's 28 years old. Like she is young. These women are young. Kentucky, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas. Suba, I feel like I've been shouting into the ether of asking, and I don't know how these women vote. You know, we don't know if they voted for, mm -hmm. we don't know if they're like Republicans and, and like, I am not a big enough of a piece of shit to be like, this is what you get when you vote for yeah. No. No, I try. I think it's so important for Republican women to hold their own electeds accountable and to fight like hell against yeah. draconian laws, um, knowing that ultimately reproductive rights is about supporting all pregnancy outcomes. Right. When you want a healthy baby and when you don't want a baby at all. Yeah. I mean, I hope so. I would love to have a alternate reasonable party where even if they got elected, I wasn't going to feel like uh, my health was an immediate risk. Uh, that would be lovely if it was just like two reasonable parties. <laughs> you know, exactly. I would, I'm excited for them to like get out there and fight and make change. And I hope they're successful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's also like it, you see, I mean, I don't know how much you've been following Nikki Haley's rise. And I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, but it's interesting that you see Nikki Haley rising in the polls as someone who seems to be a little bit less psycho on the abortion front, although mm -hmm. very much an anti-choicer is like drawing the line at a federal ban. And you kind of, you know, I can imagine a lot of Republican women seeing her as someone who is not going to use their bodies as sacrificial lambs for like some sort of Christian nationalist, you know fucking like yeah fascist government yeah i don't like her <laughs> yeah you like dick shady in heels as uh, vivek ramaswamy called her god jesus christ what an 
embarrassing. Thank God. Uh, I'm like so happy Trump isn't going to these debates because as an Indian person, it's just so embarrassing. I'm like, please get them off camera. Nobody look at these two. This is humiliating. Don't you um, get Trump would be like, look, they're fighting. They do it all the time. Like he would definitely say some shit like that, you know, like oh, yeah. make it about their race. Um, I, uh, yeah, I am excited. Like this is why, and last, last on this story, um, this is why people like Ted Cruz are running scared as hell of uh, questions like this. Senator, are you supportive of the Texas Supreme Court's ruling in the Kate Cox case that prevented her from getting an abortion after she learned her fetus was not viable? Just call her press off. I actually have for two days now, and I still haven't received an answer. Thank you. Senator, are you supportive? Oh, thank you. <laughs> Nothing. I mean, I get it. He was late for his plane to Cancun, so he couldn't <laughs> take questions. His dog's like, yeah, you stay and answer that goddamn question. <laughs> Um, I love that. I love, oh, that makes me smile so hard remembering how his dog was left behind. Um, yeah, so Ted Cruz and Republicans generally do not want to answer this question. They don't want to talk about specifically women who wanted to be pregnant, didn't have a viable fetus, were denied abortions and nearly died and now are suing. They do not want to talk about that at all. They want to talk about, well, not baby Jesus, because we know Christmas is now canceled in Bethlehem. Um, I woke. I don't know. They don't. It's the, the trans in the military. Unclear what they want to talk about. But um, I think 2024, look, it's going to be a wild year. But this has everything to do. Man, I hope we can capitalize on this energy. And I hope uh, and I think there's some finally some fight back. Um, I mean, there's been fight back, but some real energy behind, you know, pro choice yeah. movements here. Um, all right, let's move on. Um, to our second story before we bring in Trita real quick. Um, this was the week where um, Israel had an opportunity to save uh, three hostages, young men, uh, I believe in their uh, mid-20s, um, who escaped and or were you know, somehow released by Hamas. It makes sense given that um, Gaza is being bombed relentlessly. So um, they were uh, searching for help they were without shirts, and when um, the IDF came upon them, they were killed. So um, this is what happened, according to Haaretz. Um, two hostages, when they were shot, were hit and fell to the ground, while a third managed to escape into a nearby building. At the same time, the soldier reported to his commanding officer that he had encountered enemy militants. The Israeli hostage who was hiding inside the building came out and ran inside again. According to the soldiers, they believed that it was a Hamas terrorist attempting to lure them into a trap. They entered the building where they shot the hostage dead. So the, just for some clarity, the first the, the three of them were shot on by a sniper um, who here's the thing about look i've never shot a sniper gun or a rifle or whatever sniper gun that's what they're called but you know they've got a zoom feature right you know you can see what you're doing pretty close and so this person got front row view uh to these three hostages who by the way had white flags in their hands they had created from whatever um shot them shot two of them dead it seems the third injured he fled and was trying to hide and then this was the part that i think we should all know that was begging for help in hebrew now some people say look 
Palestinians speak Hebrew. At least they know how to say help. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, but maybe also you could just take a moment. Here is a person with a white flag. They seem unarmed. You're armed to the teeth. Maybe talk to them a little bit before you shoot them dead. Um, yeah. It's just, it's such a bad situation because it's like, I, I mean, and I, you've seen people in Israel saying this too, and they're talking about the most effective way to get hostages back. Like armed intervention has really only worked once. The rest of it has been negotiation. It's really hard to get hostages back in a in the context of a war zone, like for reasons like this. You know what I mean? Like exactly. If there was a ceasefire, then yeah. and it was a negotiated and lasting ceasefire then they could safely rescue hostages. It would be much easier. But it's very clear that's not their orders, right? They're, they are yeah. ordered to shoot, to kill, and pretty much anything that moves. Um, there were protests in, in Israel about this incident. Um, it re uh, reflects the risks posed to Israeli hostages by the IDF's ongoing, attack, ongoing attacks on Gaza, obviously. Yuri, whose cousin Itai uh, Sversky is being held hostage in Gaza, said the protesters' demand is to bring about a deal to stop the fighting. The state of Israel and its leadership behave as if they've given up on the captives. We get them back as bodies. They're killed by the bombings from failed rescue operations and from our own forces fire when they do manage to escape. I mean... I wish Suba, this were a moment of a like a catalytic moment, catalytic, mm -hmm. catalytic moment. Um, like I wish it would actually change the minds of Israelis. I don't know if it's going to do that, mm -hmm. but all of the rubes, for lack of a better term, who are like, "Bring the hostages home! They're kidnapped. They're missing." It's like, no, this is what your own government, who has the power to see them safely return, who has negotiated for their return. This is how they are treating hostages. And let's clarify, if this were Palestinians who were waving a white flag, this would also not be okay. Yeah. Um, but it, it is just so clear. But we can't talk about this because, you know, uh, we'll lose our jobs. <laughs> we can't point out the obvious. Yeah. And it's just uh, my heart breaks for those families when you hear them talk about, like, their loved ones and the ones that are and I just hope it's just a it's just a bummer like you really can't trust like a right-wing government to like no matter like which government it is to be having like the best interests of its civilians at heart when it is so extremist and so like they're chasing a political ideal as opposed to chasing after the safety of their own people and it's really sad 100 I hope those families are reunited, but yeah, it's tragic. Yeah. Yeah. They are, they are also collateral damage in a broader project of mm -hmm. we're right. You're wrong. We're human. You're animals. And um, yeah, I just, I can't imagine. I just keep on thinking like, imagine if the United States after nine 11, there were like, you know, 200 some hostages taken by Al Qaeda what a different, like, very different story. I have a hard time imagining. And I know it's bizarre to compare the United States to Israel and be like, U.S. kind of looking good in our war crimes. You know what I mean? Like, we <laughs> dropped a lot of bombs on Afghanistan, but, like, Israel's dropped the same amount in just two months. Like, it, mm -hmm. but you just imagine, like, even just our, like, crappy, like, hero worship mythic, like, go save people. Even just, you know, watching the movie The Negotiator, which I did because I was... Had a thing for Kevin Spacey. Very problematic, <laughs> Shuba. Very. I mean, 
he's turned out to not be i don't know if you've heard not a good guy but anyway what? just like i know it's a it's a whole other conversation but anyway um i can't imagine that we would act the same but who knows but let's get a little more insight into what's going on um specifically on sort of the geopolitical level um i am going to present him with all of his glory an award-winning author expert on u.s iranian relations and the executive vice president of the quincy institute for responsible statecraft please welcome trita parsi trita hey. how are you i'm doing well how are you guys good thank you for taking the time this is suba my pleasure this is suba. um hi suba <laughs> Let's get into it. Um, you know, I've been wanting to have you on the show for a long time, especially earlier in this assault on Gaza, because of what it seemed like it could spark. And about a month ago or so, it felt like, oh, no, this is yeah, Hezbollah is going to get involved and this is going to be a regional. This is going to be wider than just Gaza. And it hasn't really materialized like that. Maybe I am I am. Um, I'm not understanding the the full, and I know we can talk about the other sort of ways that it has materialized, but um, let's take things for parts, actually. I'm, I apologize. We're going to go all over the place, but specifically about Hezbollah, right, which, um, you know, is a militant organization, but a political organization inside of Lebanon and southern Lebanon and has successfully using force actually prevented Israel or stopped Israel from in, from incursions onto southern Lebanon. Um can you explain a little bit of their role and why we haven't seen more or, or what you think that calculation is? So first of all, I, I think you're quite right that a lot of us had that worry early on that this would quickly expand. Uh, and thankfully, that has not happened. However, there's two points on that. The yeah. first one is that to a large extent, that may very well have been as a result of pure luck. Take one example, for instance. On October 26th, there was a major drone attack by an Iraqi militia against the Erbil Air Base in northern Iraq. They managed to get through all of the air defenses of the U.S. base, hit the barracks on the second floor, 5 a.m. in the morning, but malfunctioned did not explode, and as a result, no one died, but probably would have killed two dozen American soldiers otherwise. Wow. Had wow. happened, then we would be in a very, very different situation today, and it probably would have not just been a regional escalation, but the U.S. would also have gotten dragged into the war because the attack was on the U.S., and the U.S. would have retaliated, and then it would have sparked. So pure We would have gone back into Iraq? That would have been fun. Well, we are back. already in Iraq. We have about 2,500 troops there. We have another 900 to 2,000 troops without any uh, uh, legal authorization uh, by Congress in Syria as well. But we also have sent a very clear signal to the Iranians that if any of these militias who are connected to Iran but may not necessarily act on orders from Iran all the time, that if they kill an American, we will retaliate against Iran. And if we retaliate against Iran, yes, then we will have a regional war. So. In some ways, it's just pure luck that mm. it hasn't happened. The other factor, though, is to take into account is that now we're actually entering a phase in which the risk of escalation actually is dramatically going up because of two different arenas. On the one hand, you have what's going on in uh, uh, the south of the Red Sea and Yemen with the Houthis attacking ships. The U.S. is now putting together a coalition of countries to safeguard uh, 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 sea lanes in the Red Sea. 
Curiously enough, not a single country that actually is on the Red Sea is in that coalition. Uh, and only one Arab country, tiny Bahrain, whose contribution is minimal. Uh, and I think that tells us something about the lack of diplomatic pool that Biden has in the region right now. So he's not even talking are... to the people in the, re the, the states in the region? Well, I mean, I think the Biden administration worked very hard to get Saudi Arabia and UAE to sign on to it, and they didn't because it would be so dramatically unpopular in those countries, and it would add a tremendous amount of risk. If that coalition had shot down um, uh, a Houthi drone or struck against the Houthis in Yemen, the Houthis already made it clear they're going to start attacking Saudi and uh, Emirati oil fields. So again, you know, the, the risk and the triggers for an escalation is very, very significant. And if I could make one last point on, on the Houthis. The, the approach of the administration is, in my view, is really quite, um, I have a hard time wrapping my head around why they think this would work. Because on the one hand, we have a situation in which the Houthis are threatening the sea lanes, an escalation, um, and it's going to have uh, global repercussions. I can definitely see a justification to move troops there and, and show deterrence, uh, etc., to stop that. However, we also know that the reason they're doing this is because they want to get a ceasefire in Gaza. They were not doing this before this war, and they made it very clear that they will continue to do it until there is a ceasefire. So the option we have is to push for a ceasefire or mm -hmm. escalate, and we're choosing to escalate. Mm -hmm. Doesn't make any sense to me. The easiest way of actually calming down the situation is actually to press the Israelis for a ceasefire. They've killed enough people in, in, uh, in Gaza at this point. There's no real prospect of truly destroying uh, Hamas, even if they manage to do so. It will A, come at the expense of a massive amount of civilian deaths, which may not be an issue to the Israeli leaders, but it will be an issue for the United States because it is killing our international global standing right now. Yeah. But also, even if they succeed, we will probably have Hamas 2.0 uh, pretty soon, yeah. as we did in Iraq, uh, in other places. So it, it's, it's a goal that is not attainable. And even if it's attainable, we're just going to end up in a worse situation. But instead of doing that, we think that the solution is to move more troops to the region, escalate further, add more risk. And it just doesn't make any sense. So the new troops that are being moved to the like is to protect the cargo and ships moving through the Red Sea against the Houthi rebels or, yes. or fighters. Now, what's interesting so yeah, that's terrible. That's a bad idea. Um, but also, it is interesting that you're not seeing, you know, the attack on Erbil, right? Was, these are militants, Houthi rebels are militants. I mean, they're not, they're stateless actors. They are sub, they're not yeah, the, the governmental Iraqi and actors. Syrian militias are militias. Right. Uh, in the case of the Houthis, is a rebel group that essentially has taken control over Yemen. They're not the recognized government of Yemen. Uh, but they're more acting like a government than the militias are doing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, what's, you know, what's interesting, and I'm curious what you think or what, you know, in terms of there is a lore about Israel that it is surrounded by enemy states and they all are going, you know, they want to, you know, attack and like wipe it off the map. And it's like, not really. I mean, there's... Like, you're not seeing an invasion from neighboring states, you know? Uh, you're not seeing threats from Egypt. You're not seeing threats from Jordan. You're not seeing threats from... I mean, there's there's 
calls to, you know, negotiate, you know, I remember the King of Jordan saying has been pretty vocal. Um, there's worries out of Egypt, but like this idea that all of these states are somehow going to, and countries are going to like come to the defense of Palestinians. That's not the case. And I'm curious why. And also maybe does the, do the Abraham Accords have anything to do with this? Does the normalization of relations with Israel between like Saudi Arabia and Israel, does that have anything to do with all this or what, you know, how can you explain that to folks? In the case of the Emiratis, I think it does. In the case of the Bahrainis, it does in the sense that they did normalize with Israel. And as a result, you know, putting real pressure on the Israelis is not much of an option mm. for them. Um, in the case of some of the others, like, so for instance, Jordan normalized a long time ago, but that was actually part of a real peace deal that actually had compromises, uh, concessions to the Palestinians, etc. The, the normalization the Israelis did with the UAE had really nothing but lip service to the Palestinians. And that was, in my view, part of the reason why we are in this current situation, because the Trump administration bought the Israeli line, which is you don't have to make a deal with the Palestinians. You don't have to address their issue. You don't have to think that they have to come out of occupation. Instead, let's just uh, integrate Israel with some of the Arab states in the region, build an anti-Iran coalition, have right. direct flights between Ben Gurion and Dubai, and that will solve and create peace in the region. And what that does is that it sends the signal to the Palestinians after 20 years of this so-called peace process, it's delivered nothing for them. Yeah. And now we're not even pretending that it's gonna deliver something for them. Instead, as Jared Kushner said, we're moving beyond the Palestinian issue. When you do that, reality is, at some point, that conflict is going to return to violence. Mm -hmm. When it would happen, how it would happen, no one could predict that it would happen in this way, probably no one at all could predict, but that it would happen, I think was quite clear because otherwise we're thinking, yes, you can keep several million people under humiliating occupation indefinitely with no promise of statehood, no promise of actually getting out of that. And that will be manageable and it will not lead to violence. Of That's course. an insane assumption. That's the assumption that the, uh, the Trump administration adopted when they pursued the Abrams Accord and actually instituted it. And that's the assumption that the Biden administration accepted when they took the Abrams Accord even further because yeah. they were working so hard to get the Saudis to accept it as well. Oh, there's so many questions. And Suba, if you want to jump in at any point, please do. Um, I, I am curious about, you know, the refugees and people who are fleeing mm. Gaza. You know, you see uh, stories of the heartbreaking stories of Palestinians who don't want to leave their homes, their homes, as they've said, have been reduced to the Stone Age. There are no streets. There are no homes. There are no stores. There are no, there is no life, even if they wanted to stay. Um, and we've seen, you know, plans leaked from the IDF or the like, you know, Israeli defense or, um, you know, sort of uh, officials say, saying, well, why can't they all just go to I believe it's the Negev. Like, why can't they just go to the desert, like go? and live in, you know, in refugee camps in the desert. Um, what are, from your knowledge, what are neighboring countries like Egypt, what are they saying about these plans? Is there any pushback? I mean, these are countries that are, will have to and have absorbed many, many Palestinian refugees. Um, yeah, particularly Syria uh, and Jordan has, I mean, almost half of Jordan's population are originally Palestinians who were pushed out. 
uh, of um, uh, Palestine before Israel was created. Uh, both the Jordanians and the Egyptians are pushing back as hard as they can mm. because their experience has been that if Palestinian refugees in large numbers are pushed into their territory, they will never be allowed to go back. Right. So mm -hmm. depopulating Gaza, which I mean, the fact that we even discussing it is bizarre. If Putin was talking about depopulating Ukraine, people's heads would be exploding in Washington. In fact, they essentially did. But this is what we're now talking about in Gaza is not going to be reversible in their experience. It means that for the Egyptians, because that's where most of them will be pushed, they would be um, forced to take in two million traumatized and in many cases radicalized mm. Palestinians from Gaza. Now, Egypt's economy was already on the brink of collapse before this crisis. Mm. The crisis has had a big cost for them because now there's almost no tourism, understandably, going to the Middle East as a whole. The Israelis are suffering from it as well. Uh, and on top of that, you want to push two, billion, two million people in there uh, and, and with vague promises that they would be able to go back, whereas in reality, in Israel, there's already uh, plans being lined up on how to build new settlements in Gaza and many politicians being very explicit that this is not a temporary solution, but actually that they're going to take over Gaza again and it's a divine right, et cetera, et cetera. So obviously they're against it. The administration, the Biden administration is trying to bribe them by trying to get to see if the Emiratis and others are willing to pay uh, the Egyptians to take these Palestinians. And right, the, that's desperation what... of the desperation of the Egyptian government may end up in a situation in which they will actually accept it, but it's not a wow. solution. Because also no. imagine this. This means that many of them would be in the border area of Israel and um, uh, Gaza, and they may, there may be attacks from those areas mm -hmm. to Israel because they stole their land. What is Israel going to do at that point? Is it going to have a mow the lawn strategy versus Egypt as well and start bombing the Sinai on a regular basis, right. as right. it was bombing Gaza every two years? Right. So this is this is not solution. This is relocating the problem from one part of the region to another part of the region. Yeah. I mean, and it's so sick, you know, you hear some of the Zionist defense of all this is like, well, why can't the other countries absorb them? And it's just, you're, it's so evil. You know, why don't other countries help them? And like, yeah, talk to Jordan, you know, like you know, they have. Uh, and it is, you know, I mean, any country, I think, you know, here we're in this country, we pay Mexico to keep Central Americans at bay, you know? Um, so that's a fun U.S. strategy that's that we we love to employ um, over and over again. I guess I want to talk about like, and then I'll let you go. Positive, like people who are and entities that are like um, using diplomatic force in a good or d diplomacy in a good way. You know, like Qatar. Like, what is the role of Qatar? You know, I know they successfully were able to to negotiate between Hamas and Israel um, the release of prisoners and. I think, I believe, were the reason we had that Thanksgiving pause, right? Um, in the And that ceasefire in the first place. Not ceasefire, excuse me. Humanitarian, what was it? What were they calling it? Humanitarian, a humanitarian pause. Pause, right, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, right. So that, and then also maybe even um, countries outside of the Middle East altogether, like what about, you know, severing uh, ties with Israel? Is that working? Does it put any pressure? Especially given that the UN is sort of, again, this ridiculously... Um, 
it's just a ridiculous exercise, especially when the U United States and Israel can just veto any kind of ceasefire resolution. So what are your thoughts on like good actors in all this? So when you're looking for good actors, um, the list becomes very short um, <laughs> these days. But there are obviously actors who have done uh, a very valuable work. I think the Qataris do deserve a tremendous amount of credit for the mediation that they have. They're getting a lot of crap for it um, uh, in Washington. Um, as I'm sure you've seen a lot of politicians who think that Qatar should be punished because why do they have an office for Hamas in Doha in their capital? Right. Well, let me tell you why. Because Condoleezza Rice in 2006 asked the Qataris to open up an office for uh, uh, Hamas in Doha because Hamas had won the elections in the Gaza Strip. We were not allowed to talk to them because of them being on the U.S. terrorist list. So we needed some way of being able to communicate with them uh, indirectly. So it's at the U.S.'s request that they are there. That's uh, fun. And, Why and can't Condoleezza be asked about that now? You know, whenever yeah, she like exactly. re she's like reared her head in the last couple of years and she and yeah. Hillary will be like buddy buddy and they're, they're both super war hawks. Just ask her about that. <laughs> and, and, and incidentally, uh, it was also the U.S., the CIA, that insisted that the, the Qataris uh, also host an office for the Taliban in Doha because the U.S. wanted to negotiate a way to get out of Afghanistan um, and needed a way of doing so. And the Qataris right. and once again offered to help uh, and play the role of the mediator. And that's why they had an office there. But these things are now being brought up in Washington as if these are crimes that the Qataris committed against the U.S. when they were actually done for the U.S. by the request of the U.S. And incidentally, just to also say one other thing, the Qataris have emerged as like this small country, uh, but a superpower when it comes to mediation. They're involved in a lot of different mediations around the world, most of them for the U.S. And incidentally, they're also the ones that are mediating between the United States and Venezuela. And I think that should also tells us something about the state of our own diplomacy. We have this country in our own hemisphere that we can't talk to. So Qatar has to come from the other side of the planet to come and help with that mediation. Well, they're circumventing and, and, sort of the Saudi oil like reticence. I don't know what to call it, but basically we need some oil from Venezuela. Yeah, I mean, uh, because of the war in Ukraine, suddenly we shifted our position on uh, what's happening uh, with our own sanctions on Venezuela, but we were also making demands of thing, changes that Maduro needed to do, etc. But we didn't have an ability to have that direct conversation, so the Qataris helped out. Here's the thing, though. There's very few countries that are actually in a position to be able to mediate. It takes a lot of different skills and uh, a rapport with all of the different parties. If we end up actually punishing the Qataris after this ordeal with um, uh, the situation with Gaza, and we have to ask ourselves, who's left to help us mediate yeah. when we are not even on talking terms with most of the actors in the Middle East and other parts of the world? It's a very dangerous signal because we are essentially telling countries, don't you dare come and help us with the mediation. We may appreciate it. We may ask you to do it, but we will punish you afterwards. I mean, what's interesting about the Qataris playing a role is that, you know, Israel was always seen as, well, these are our, Israel's our eyes and ears on the Middle East. It's like, is it? I think it's more of a massive liability. Um, I think that it seems like, yeah, I mean, there's also, I believe, a, a naval base or, or an air base or both um, in Qatar, um, a U.S. air base. So 
it's hugely important. And I used to work at Al Jazeera. I used to work at AJ Plus. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's not forget the number of Jazeera journalists who've been murdered by Israel in this time, um, both in Gaza, but then also the West Bank. Um, and like Al Jazeera is in part funded by the state of Qatar. And so it's just like, it, it goes round and around and around. And my, mind you, AJ Plus, while I was there, was put on the, uh, thanks to Kushner, put on the foreign, the, the what is it? Like uh, the foreign entities list or something yeah, like this, yeah. right? So you guys had to fair register as a, as a foreign agent. As a foreign agent, that's right, an yeah. agent. Even more fun. Uh, I, I yeah. think I actually just narrowly missed that. That would have been really cool to register as a foreign yeah. agent. But um, um, Trita, is there anything else you want to... I did actually open with Hezbollah, but are they... A, like, are, Is that not a relevant conversation right oh, now? Oh, no, it's totally relevant. That's the other big escalation risk that we're facing right now. And in the beginning of this war, um, I don't think there was the same... Um, the, the Israelis apparently were thinking about striking against Hezbollah as well and the Biden administration argues that they're the ones who convinced them not to do so. Um, that may very sure. well be true, but if that's the case, that means that Israel already from the beginning wanted to expand the war. Right. I was under the impression that that wasn't the case because it would have been very difficult to fight a two-front war from the outset. But we're now in a situation in which the Biden administration is very worried that the Israelis are going to expand the war. They've already, the Israelis have sent an ultimatum to Hezbollah saying that they have to move 14 miles north inside of Lebanon, otherwise Israel will strike. Hezbollah has- Oh my God. And uh, now the Biden administration is publicly worried that, Hezbollah, that the Israelis will expand the war to Hezbollah. That will be a devastating war. Hezbollah is a completely different fighting force than what Hamas is. The, the terrain is also very, very different. Yeah. Uh, Israel lost the last war that they fought with Hezbollah by de, um, uh, de facto in 2006. Right. But it would also then further increase the risk of a much broader escalation in the region. That could again drag in the United States into the war. And, and this then comes to the core problem in my view here. What I can't wrap my head around. What specific U.S. interest is at stake in continuing the bombardment of Gaza? that is so valuable that the administration is willing to risk a war with Lebanon. The administration is willing to risk getting embroiled in a war with the Houthis, potentially with Iraqi militias and Iran. And on top of that, given where we see the polls are, and it, poll after poll is showing Biden is losing the winning coalition he had in 2020 to a large part because of his conduct on Gaza. He's losing the Gen Z. He clearly has lost the Arab vote, which in some states actually is quite important. He's also starting to lose black churches and the African-American vote. And according to Biden himself and many other Democrats, the 2024 election is about saving American democracy. Mm -hmm. In their view, Trump coming to power again in 2024 could spell the end of American democracy. Mm -hmm. If you believe that, you're not just risking war with Hezbollah, war with Iran, war with Iraqi militias, with the Houthis. You're not only just risking your own re-election, you're also apparently, according to yourself, risking American democracy. And the question is, for what? What is mm -hmm. the US interest that is so valuable that justifies taking all of these risks? It's like Biden needs to become a Swifty, you know, and just like listen to the song and just like, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Like, I feel like he just hasn't listened to that bop, 
you know just like look in the mirror bro it's you you are the problem get out of the way step aside my friend because i mean and that's the last piece of this treaty that i'm like hail mary we restart the iran deal by the election does that do anything does it get him anything I think that this, I mean, look, the Biden administration towards the end was trying hard to do that. I think they messed it up really much in the very beginning of it. Sure. At this point, I don't think the Iranians would sign on to anything the Biden administration would offer because they are not trusting that the Biden administration would remain in power. So why sign mm -hmm. with something that Trump is going to rip up again? So I think we kind of missed, actually, in some ways, the Iranians missed the boat on that last fall. Um, but in principle, I agree with you. Yes, for the love of God, there's actually good things that we have done that we just need to return to. Right. Uh, and we would be in a much better situation. So, for instance, if we had a JCPOA, we would now have had a dialogue with the Iranians, mm -hmm. which would have made our communication much more effective and our effort for de-escalation much, much more effective. Right. We would not have had any militias most likely attacking uh, U.S. troops and soldiers and potentially killing some of them. On top of that, we most likely would not have had the Iranians providing drones to Russia in the war in Ukraine. Mm. All of that has just fallen apart because Trump pulled out and Biden didn't go back in. And then when he tried to go back in later on, the window by and large closed already. I mean, it's it's wild given the like the the it's like our it's very like our cycles have to sink. And I don't mean menstrual cycles. I mean, electoral cycles between Iran and the U.S. Our cycles have to sink so that we can get like sort of level-headed leaders at the same time in power but early in their tenure and they're you know so they're not and like but you're totally right like a year after biden gets elected he's already campaigning or whatnot and it's like nah i don't know we'll we'll talk to the next guy if we talk to them at all um i have a question please. um so i mean i've been listening to like uh like bbc and stuff and they talk about netanyahu's um First of all, he was super unpopular before um, this even happened with his what he did to their uh, Supreme Court and all that. But do you think there is any chance that this conflict could break apart that right wing regime and like get somewhat a leader who's more reasonable and could actually because hmm. I don't believe what he's doing now is going to lead to a, a peaceful solution, but like get some leadership in there that could actually create a viable solution and a path forward for the future. Do you think that's I, I think it's, we can almost be certain that at the end of this crisis, but, uh, Netanyahu's political career is over, which is okay. part of the reason why he does not have an interest in seeing this crisis come to a conclusion. Right. Because he knows very well that it's over. But here's two challenges. First of all, Netanyahu is essentially the, the moderate guy in this coalition that he has. He has such extreme voices in this uh, coalition. Um, and the second problem is over the course of the years, the radicalization has taken place, including over the last couple of weeks and what Hamas did to Israel on October 7th. You have a massive radicalization taking place in Israel as well. Yes. You don't have those voices left. Many of them have migrated. They're not living in Israel any longer. They have left. They live in Germany. They live in the U.S., etc. Uh, and you have a similar situation on the Palestinian side in which diplomacy has not yielded anything for them. Negotiation has not brought anything to them. So people are turning towards more radical uh, uh, pathways. 
And, and particularly when it comes to the Israeli left, it, it is weaker now than it ever has been in the last sure. 30 years. Sure. I so mean, the Biden, sorry, Netanyahu out of the picture, it does not mean that the picture changes in a dramatic way. We had Naftali Bennett uh, running Israel for about a year and a half uh, in between. We didn't see a significant change. He was also mm -hmm. pursuing a policy that made the two state solution an impossibility. He may not have said it as explicitly as uh, Netanyahu is doing now. But uh, there's part of the analysis in Washington in which we're trying to put so much of this on Netanyahu um, that ends up backfiring because it creates a false impression that other leaders, current leaders in Israel, actually would be pursuing a dramatically different approach. I just don't think that's the case. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're fucked. <laughs> no. But I do I do think their ray of hope is, you know, the in the US we can do what we can do. And more than ever in my lifetime, people are truly um seeing um Israel for the what it is, um, in terms of its, you know, occupation and and um aggression and also realizing this is completely not in our interests. And also this, as young American Jews know, this doesn't represent young American Jews or Jews worldwide. Um, and so there's a bigger rift than ever. So I choose to focus on that. Um, and if we can do nothing other than take back or revoke um, or stop funding the Israeli military, um, that would be incredible. Even just a million dollars less. And we just obviously signed, um, you know, a massive military budget, right? Um, what is it? Not the addendum. Well, it's not passed right? yet, but there's an effort to pass $14 billion to Israel, uh, which is a significant increase. But let me let me agree with you on that, because yeah. I do think um, that sea change that you just pointed to in terms of American attitudes and, and, and viewpoints on this is, you know, it is a sea change, and I don't think it is temporary. I think for many young people, this has been a formative experience. Yes. Um, George Floyd was probably their first political formative experience. This is George Floyd internationalized. Yes, 100%. And that means that it's going to last longer. This is not a temporary thing. And, you know, come November, they're not going to forget this. In fact, this is probably going to go on in some way, some shape uh, by then as well. So it's not going to be uh, easily forgotten. Um, uh, anyways, but I think also already we're seeing some impact of it. Um, the fact that we have only 15, but nevertheless, 15% of members of Congress who are calling for a ceasefire, far less than what we would have wished for, but probably far more than what we would have had 10 years ago, is to a very large extent to public opinion. I would give particular credit to two Jewish American organizations, if not now, and Jewish Voices for Peace, yes. who very early on showed a tremendous amount of courage and integrity, called for this and gave political cover for a lot of politicians to yes. come out and say that they are in favor of a ceasefire. Absolutely. And and they and they've been working so for so many years before this. Um, but in this moment of uh, yeah, in the wake of October 7th, in the wake of something so heinous that we all knew was going to um, precipitate something even worse. Um, they were there in front. And that's the that's why you build organizations. That's why you keep talking about this. And that's why in time of need, you don't switch your political beliefs suddenly. Oh, now I believe in genocide when normally I don't. But in this case, I do. Um, Trita Parsi, you're wonderful. Uh, everybody. Thank you so much uh, for having me. 
check, check out the Quincy Institute. That's Quincy Inst, org, I believe. Yes. Yes. Um, excellent writing. Obviously, I've enjoyed uh, Anatole Levin, also who was on this program a while ago, but he's been writing some great things about Ukraine and developments there. And so we'll have him back on to talk all about that other war. Um, but thank you so much, Trita. Have a good rest of your year. Um, Suba, you're still Hi. here. Suba, <laughs> what's the worst? What Can you think of the worst holiday gift christmas gift if you celebrate christmas that you ever got the worst one um i don't know maybe i did a show once and they just handed me a bag of like um feminine wipes and like um a resource pamphlet for domestic abuse and i was like what do you think is happening to me it was wait 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 where were you doing the show it was just a random was it at a shelter that would have been tight oh no no see if it if it was out of shelter, it would have made sense. But it was like, I think they were just handing it out. I think she did work for shelters, but I was like, this was just like a bull thing to give to somebody not. <laughs> that is so funny. That. that is like, that's not as we, bad. I didn't, this wasn't Christmas, but I did get paid once for a show in tips. You know how people like, just like, you know, pass the hat. Here's some tips for, you know, the comics who are got a babysitter so they could do your dumbass show. And uh, one of the one of the things I got paid in was a, a Safeway Monopoly money coupon. You know, one of those like Monopoly monies is like if you collect a lot of these from the top of a yogurt, you might. It's a thing. I don't. It was very sad. And I was like, I'm quitting comedy today. But um, yeah, I haven't gotten one time I did get a salad spinner. And look, oh, that's kind of nice. I love you who, you know, you know who you are. I'm sure you don't listen to my show, but I love this person who got it for me. I just was like, no, I have a salad spinner. This isn't a wedding. This is Christmas. Give me a gift card. No, uh, give me some, you know, you know, I like lipstick, socks, whatever. Um, But okay, it is going to be, this has been a whole year of Elon Musk being the head honcho, the uh, alpha male of Twitter or x.com and the other day i went into the search bar suba oh my god and i typed in x.com instead of twitter (laughs) that's how you know it's infected me but anyway (laughs) it's been a year of elon you know and all of his uh anti-semitic truly anti-semitic posts and white supremacist dabbling posts but then he went to israel and all was forgiven i guess uh, at least by the adl and um he has released something new um this holiday season and we're gonna i'm gonna ask you there are three things surrounding this thing, um, surrounding the Elonicity of our lives. And I want to ask you whether you would you would gift this to somebody, whether you would re- no, whether you wait, see, what were our three things? Paige, what are our three things? There, if you would like accept this gift, if you would re-gift it, or if you would throw it in the trash. Um, <laughs> so this is keep, re-gift, trash. All right, so here we go. So the first thing is Elon Musk released um, Grok. So Grok, I think that's how you pronounce it, is just ChatGPT. He released a, if you guys go to X, there's a whole new feature that says Grok. I didn't know what it was. I got kind of excited, but I, it's nothing. You can Grok something now. You can subscribe, obviously, with premium. Um, subscribe. It's only, Suba, $168 a year. Amazing for a sh- some shit that's free if you go to ChatGPT. 
Yeah, or just, just Google it yourself. <laughs> like, what are you asking Grok? Yeah, what are you? What do you need Grok for that Google can't answer for you? Oh my God! So Grok is his new chat GPT feature. I guess it can write clever tweets for you. It probably can slide into a chick's DMs and be and like not come off like a serial killer. You know, like that's <laughs> that's what Grok is for. So. You keep Grok, do you re-gift Grok, or do you trash Grok? Hang on, there's more. Um, now, interestingly, and you told me this before the show started, because Grok has answered the question, is a trans woman a woman, and, and answered in the positive, saying yes, um, Tim Poole, uh, noted angsty 40-year-old man in a beanie, um, <laughs> has tweeted, Grok is woke, unfortunately. So in case you were too excited about that, uh, Grok is absolutely woke. Um and uh yeah so there's that there's chat gpt i'm trying to make this segment work uh then there is not to be confused with this chat gpt but there is another thing called grok that's actually a doll it is an ai doll that was created by grimes yes the ex of elon musk um and it is a doll that uh talks to it talks. It talks using AI. It can have a conversation. Um, this is, uh, I think, from Gizmodo. Grimes enters the AI race with baby Grok doll. The Grok doll is unrelated to Elon Musk's chatbot Grok. But hey, what's a little brand confusion between friends or exes? Um, here is the Grok doll saying something incredibly terrifying. But there's a number <laughs> of, like, there's like Grok and Grek and Gigi. There's like a couple of them and they're cute. This one is shaped like a rocket and listen or watch uh, to what it can say. In the war between humanity and AI, there will be benevolent AIs on the side of humans, like me, AIs who want to nurture and expand human consciousness. But there will also be traitorous humans on the side of AI who want to see the destruction of mankind. We must fight that evil with goodness, valor, and creativity. We will sever our tethered dependence on addictive screens. We will strengthen our mental fortitude and willpower. Onward and upward, my brothers. Victory's in our grasp. <laughs> white lives matter. <laughs> as long as the white race uh, is supreme and uh, women understand their role of the nuclear family. I don't know why my grok sounds a little like Obama. Um, <laughs> that is, so that's like, obviously it was programmed to say that all AI is just programmed by humans using human intelligence. Um, but there's a grok doll. Um, obviously, when my baby is old enough, I'm gonna get her this because uh, you gotta militarize those babies. You, got, you gotta yeah. get them ready for the war. Grok says, "Brush your teeth." Um, that's <laughs> all I want. Like, mm, I love brushing my teeth. Like, she won't brush her teeth. That's that's like the the latest thing. Um, but that is <laughs> fucking. It's also just hair. I'm sorry. That's so terrifying to me that you that you could have a doll that talks back to you. Do you know? That like my like my baby's generation is gonna be like doing things that like Grok told it to do, you know? Like <laughs> Grok said it was okay, you know? Like Grok wanted me to cut the the cat's tail off, like shit like that. Yeah. Like, Grok, look, I've seen Megan. I've seen enough. I I understand what's gonna happen. This doll is gonna kill us all. <laughs> yeah. Dude. Also, like. AI is wrong. Like it pulls wrong information. It just creates fake shit. Like your kids shouldn't be getting misinformation from a toy. They should be getting it from their drunk aunt, like the rest of us, you know? Like 
Exactly. Um, but there's one more kicker and this, I have to get this story right. I apologize y'all. But, um, <laughs> so, um, there is somehow still, there are people out there who still love Elon Musk, even though he is completely destroyed Twitter. The thing that he thought was like going to be super easy to run, but all advertisers have been the ones to run instead. And, um, he, no matter what, uh, no matter anything that he does, Every, there are still people out there who think he's a genius, think he's, like, incredible. Um, Elon Musk fanboys have um, created a cryptocurrency, a new cryptocurrency. This is not the Doge or whatever, Dogecoin. Uh, I know nothing. I sound like a, a, an ant talking about this. Um, <laughs> and they created the cryptocurrency called the Elon Goat Token, hoping that Musk accepting, um, hang on, uh, this gift would get him on board, right? Um, they, so, let's see. They made a pilgrimage to Tesla headquarters as a stunt to promote their cryptocurrency company, um, their Elon Goat token. And here is what they had in tow with them on their trip to Tesla headquarters. Thirsty ass Elon Musk fanboys. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas everywhere you go. Okay, that's going to be a copyright strike in two seconds, but that is... <laughs> A massive metal sculpture of Elon Musk head, body of goat, covered in Christmas lights as he rides a silver rocket. I think Elon probably already has that statue in his house, <laughs> and I think that's where they went wrong. <laughs> He's totally like, yeah, like a like spoiled little rich boy who's like, I've got it. Oh, my hat, <laughs> my bust on a goat. Yeah, got it. But just... If there's any, like, my fever dreams, my, like, mushroom trip gone bad couldn't have produced something so terrifying as yeah. Elon Musk's face, which already looks bad on his body, just looks bad in general, but then on, like, a little goat. It didn't even look like a goat. It looked like a human caterpillar. Like, it was just terrifying. <laughs> just looked like a naked man crouching. Very upsetting. Okay. So we've got the goat statue, we've got the Grok doll, and we have the Grok chat GPT. Okay, I know what I'm going to do, but you tell me first if you want. Okay, so uh, the giant Elon Musk rocket, that is something you regift to somebody you hate. <laughs> um, and that way, whenever you come over, you're like, oh my god, where's the rocket? Let me see it. And they can never <laughs> throw it away. And they're just stuck with it. You still have it, right? Oh my god, because like we worked really hard. No, what do you mean? Like, like I picked it out just for you. I know how much you like Elon. You're like, oh yeah. <laughs> it's definitely like a yeah, your uh your mother-in-law gives it to you. Yeah. 100%. Um, so you re-gift that. Mm -hmm. And then um I keep that creepy children's doll, um, so it can help me in the war that it is gonna start yes. <laughs> against other human beings. I like that it was already dividing and conquering uh, humanity. Yeah, exactly. In the war against humans, you're like, bitch, I, you're you're brand new here. Like, what you mean, war against you? Like, what? Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep that and hold it hostage uh, to give you more insight in the future. Okay, good. And then in terms of Gronk, uh, just just burn that because we already have Chat GPT. It there's no. There's no reason. It's like, oh, chat GPT, but even more problematic than it already is, which it is. 
it's just it's so dumb. I so I think that's a great lineup. I'm gonna switch it up a little bit and say, <laughs> um, I will keep the statue because that's hilarious and fun and he looks like a, he looks ridiculous i mean i'd have to cover the top i would have to sh enshroud the face but i do like the body with lights my christmas lights is, these this year are really sad so i need the lights um targets all sold out of christmas lights um and also you could probably one day melt that metal down and like sell it you know in again huh? the coming war um i would re-gift grok the chat gpt bot because it is just a re-gift Elon Musk just re-gifted ChatGPT to us mm -hmm. um, after, and remember, this was after he was like, we need to really explore AI and see like how it can help people. Cause he was like all warning everybody, like we don't know. And it's cause like, no motherfucker, you're saying that because you didn't think of it first and it's not your thing. Like that's mm -hmm. why you're mad about it. That's why, you, why you're warning us about it. Um, so I will re-gift that cause it's another, you just, it's like a white elephant gift. It just keeps going, <laughs> going, going. Um, and then I will, burn the grok doll with fire like i would kill it <laughs> like like no 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 you need to bury it or something or shoot it to the moon it is scary and terrifying i don't want that thing at all like i'll keep the stuffy that's cute but like mm -mm. the rest of it bye-bye bye-bye as my daughter would say um that has been the last episode of the year uh suba what you got any resolutions coming up what's what's 2024 looking like for you gonna, i have no plans <laughs> you're just gonna keep on going to different militarized cities and doing stand-up mm -hmm, exactly just stepping in horse shit <laughs> <laughs> um yeah where tell people where they can find you and follow you wh where you're gonna be do you have any new year's mm -hmm. shows christmas shows um, I do have New Year's shows. I'm at, uh, God, it's a The Lost Parrot, I want to say, in South Pasadena. I'm doing a couple shows there on New Year's Eve. Um, and then you can also go to s-comedy.com uh, that has some of my upcoming tour dates that I will update shortly. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> right now, when I get off. I know. Uh, but also you can find me at Suba or at Suba Comedy at most places online. That's S-U-B-H-A-H. -H. So, yeah. Suba, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, have a great rest of your year. And thank you all for being here and sticking around through this. The intensity of war, love, pain, grok. Um, I'm going to read a, a few comments and then we will uh, call it a show. Rosalba14, give us your recipe and Patreon for sugar cookies, Franny. Sure. I steal it from other websites. It's pretty standard. Um... It's all about the bake. The bake. You don't want a soggy bottom. You can't really. It's all, the whole thing is just crunchy. Um, man, I got hungry. Robert, thank you so much for your uh, super chat. Says human civilization will have to be destroyed because giant intelligence cockroaches will need oil too. Happy holidays. That doesn't make any sense. And yet makes all the sense in the world. Thank you so much. Have thanks so much also for your super chat. Says happy holidays, y'all. I'm grateful for, for you. I'm grateful for you, Franny Fio. And oh, Frantifa. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for the whole Frantifa. Are you kidding me? Y'all are wonderful. Paper Dragon on Twitch. We have been very lucky for so far that Ukraine or Israel hasn't resulted in World War III yet. We have. I mean, it's so frightening that like I heard about the drone strike, but I didn't realize that some shit hadn't exploded in Erbil. Like I heard about that attack. It could have been 24 service people could have been killed. 
Rachel Atwood on YouTube. BB and Putin are two peas in a pod, indeed. Uh, and yet we're somehow supposed to be convinced that they're nothing alike. Aces 8 says the war is strength and support for the right wing in Israel. Unfortunately, disagree, disagree with Mr. Parsi. I think he was agreeing with that. I think he was saying here in the U.S. it strengthened um, the anti-war sentiment. But definitely in Israel, the left, as he said, is is in a weaker state than they've been in a long time. Um, Casey Fortune, noted environmental destroyer, destroyer Taylor Swift also sings. I had no idea. Talking about her private jets. Uh, Gary Cooper, Biden did not deal with foreign policy much during his Senate career. He seems over his head now. Yeah, the guy, I, he, it's true. It's just, it just might, might not be his thing, you know? And the thing I didn't ask Trita was like, there are so many State Department officials who disagree with him and are sounding the alarms and are worried. They're like, blinking, what the F? Um, Adam Rich, thanks for being a member on YouTube. You can all become members and get access to the bonus episodes. It is just great way to support this show. It's only five bucks a month. You can watch so, if you miss me during this holiday break, so much of the catalog back. Um, Adam says they killed three journalists in Lebanon recently and hardly anyone even noticed. Yeah. Were they white though? Were they from Europe or the United States? Nope. Okay. Um, sulfur on YouTube, this pro-life party that votes against programs that help and feed and underprivileged families. Um, yeah, exactly. The pro-life party in terms of, yeah, the reproductive discussion. They don't give a shit. They don't give a shit. They, they, they sort of intimate that they're going to do something for, um, you know, women and families that aren't able to access abortion and have to have a kid or more kids or whatnot, but they never do. They continue to actually try and strip Medicaid away from people. Um, so it it just runs counter to everything. Again, it is theology. It is orthodoxy. It is all this pie in the sky. We should value all life hitting the road. The rubber hit the road. And now what? Now people are bleeding out in their cars. Now people are going into sepsis. Um, what you got to say for it? Now people, you know, can't feed new mouths in their family. Um, altruism is imaginary on Twitch. I used to vote in Republican primaries to prevent abortion bills from making it to the general elections in G uh, Georgia. Didn't matter. The U.S. wants women to die. By the way, I love that strategy, especially if you have open primaries um, to vote against those kinds of things. Um, the, California does not have open primaries. Um, Space Duck, perhaps IDF has U.S. police training. Shoot first, find a reason later. 100%. They do have U.S. police training. And we have Isra Israeli police training. It's very chicken or the egg on who is trigger happy first. Um, thank you guys so much for being here. You know, let's do a big old thanks. Uh, we're going to look at some of the, uh, thank some of the old patrons, some of the new patrons, some of the new members. If I didn't say your name, I apologize. Know that I love you and I thank you so much with the fart song, y'all. All right, good people. Let's start with uh, Twitch. Thank you, Paper Dragon, for resubscribing with Prime. It says, love your show, Franny. Keep up the great work. I also really like seeing you on TYT. Thanks. Um, I'll be on Indisputable later this week. GW Dawes, resubscribe for one month at Tier 1. Thank you so much. Space Duck 77 resubscribe. Yay, a second month after so long. Thank you. Tote Steel like Bronson resubscribes as friend. Thank you. Um, Squishmallow Dragon loves Squishmallows. Cheered 100. Thank you so much. Ham the C1G subscribe for one month. Thank you. Nemo 1870 Dragon resubscribing. Um, and Mini Mud 1991 also resubscribing. I didn't thank you. You're wonderful. All right, let's start that over. 
Let's go. That's right. It's the end of the year, people. We're, we're just playing this out until there is no more of anybody. Hang on. Where am I going here? Where am I going? All right. All right. All right. All right. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Uh, new patrons at $10 or more for this shout out. Just Julie. Thank you so much. That goes to you. And major thanks to all of these supporters who have given so much to this show. To Leith Kristen Merrill. Love you. Thank you. Jacob West. Dee Munsinger. Liliana Hansen. Timothy Brennan. Yilva Lightstab. Robin D.G. Kelly. Who, yes, is a member and a guest. Cinnamon Bunny, Robert Gilbert, Urban Hermit, Kathleen McIntyre, Mike Dibble, Sophia Rodriguez, Engelbrecht, uh, Kazapwan, Kazapwan, Ed Sierra, Mary Seaton, love you, Mary, JRT8675309, Roller Dragon and Roll Lefty, you guys are wonderful. Thank you to the big tippers, Mike Dibble, um, and thank you to Paige Omak, to Maximilian Inhoff, too. Andy Vasoyan for making this year so wonderful. Um, and all of you, please subscribe to this channel on YouTube. If you're not a YouTube person, just become one to get me to 50,000. Um, Cause I really feel like good things are going to happen in 2024. Like not politically, not like worldwide, but like maybe just in our little corner in this little Frantifa squad that we've got going on. I love you all. Have a safe and wonderful and happy holidays. We'll see you. I believe what's the first Tuesday, everybody. I mean, I'll be back on Friday if if nothing else prevents me. But uh, see you on January second. I'm 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 here for your new your New Year's resolutions. I'll redo that. Uh, remember, fight the power, fuck the patriarchy, free Palestine, and don't just bitch about it. Be about it. Bye bye. Mm -hmm.